My name is Brian Robb of MassLive.com, and this is a very special edition of Still Potable here, coming to you guys on a Friday, and we got a big one for you. We have the debut of one of our special recurring guests here on Still Potable. You've surely heard him before on the podcast formerly known as Winning Plays, and you've seen him all over your social media timelines at DangerCart and the various forums here. But Ryan Bernadoni, welcome to the show. It's, it's great to great to hear you. Yeah, we're getting the band back together under a new new band name. Better management. Being better. <laughs> All that. Uh, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. It's nice to be here. No, it's uh, we'll be as and if you're listening to this episode, this is going to be a free preview episode of the Still Potable podcast. So if you like what you hear and you want to check myself out with Jay King, Sam Packard, as well as a, a host of guests throughout the calendar will come up to you guys every monday through friday on patreon.com slash still podable every monday show will be free and the rest of the shows tuesday through friday will be for subscribers only but this is a a special pre free preview episode of ryan on here and it's good time here ryan we we have a nice little lull in the celtic season here three days off the dust has settled a bit at the 20 game mark so of course this is the time for evaluations and sam and jam um I mean, Jay and Jam, I should say, had a, a look at all the players last night, did a little evaluation there, but some big picture ideas now for where this team is after 20 games. It's a good spot to hear from you, where you, what you've seen so far, where you, where you think this team is right now. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not like a huge uh, in-season tournament fan. Um, I think it has worked well for, for what it is, but it is sort of nice that at like this exact mark of like 20 games, a nice even number, you get this little break here where you have the the day where there's no teams playing and then you have the two games or now three days where there's just the, you know, the small number of games and everybody gets a little bit of rest. So that may be an, uh, something that I, I come to get used to in, in future seasons, having this little break here. Cause it does make a nice little, little quarter check-in. Uh, my story of the season so far that I, you know, we haven't really talked re- recently about it or about anything is uh, how predictable the team has been to this point, right? Like if you had asked me, if you asked me where this team is going to be, I'd say yeah, they're going to win about three quarters of their games. They're 15 and five. Um, and go down the list of the players, I would guess that the players would have performed about to the level that they have. Like, there's a little up and down here and there, uh, but the way they play, the way they play offense, the way they play defense, it's all, if you look at sort of where they, what they happened last season and the players they acquired and how those players were brought in, it seems to me to just be kind of what we expected for, for 20 games in a way that when you have a good team is, is pretty comforting, right? Uh, so what do you think about that? It, do you agree with that, or is this in some way gone differently than you expected? More more than it has for me. I honestly think it's gone maybe a little better than expected, or a little better, like in particular. Like I, I, I agree with your baseline of like there are no big anomalies throughout the at least the rotation players. A, a few bleeps like they're there. I feel like guys like Sam Hauser and Derek White have maybe exceeded expectations, and there's a couple guys maybe like Jalen Brown or, you know, Peyton Pritchard shooting wise, obviously there's some spring sauce there, but yeah, I think, I think your basic premise is, is the right one. And I think that's a pretty good thing. Cause I think there's a lot of room for growth for this team. And the fact that they're still 15 and five, despite that, and still undefeated at home, despite playing a, you know, a pretty, not a super tough schedule, but a pretty decently tough schedule so far. If you look at the metrics, I think that bodes pretty well in terms of where they are in the scope of the Eastern conference, at least. Yeah. I mean, some of the growth is just how many games do they get where they're healthy, which again, is some, 
I go back to that as being something that we knew coming into the season, right? Like when they are a fully healthy team, they look great. Uh, when you take, because they're not a super deep team in terms of like starter caliber players who they can roll in, once you take a player out, it gets, you know, they're more, more of a sort of upper middle class team, right? Where they're going to be games that are a little bit more difficult. Now that's completely normal. That applies to basically every team in the league who doesn't have like Jokic who can prop up anybody, right? Um, so we knew that. And so when Porzingis is out, that causes some challenges for them. Uh, so I think there's some growth on, on that front where it's like, but I don't know how much more growth you can have than like your starting five is plus 27 for 100 possessions, right? Like that, So that's what I mean by like they can get, they can play better right. by getting everybody together. The other thing I think that we need to, to watch out for a little bit in the next couple of months on that front of like growth is that I believe they have a very home heavy schedule now, right? Because they yes. go through this period and then they're like, on the road all of March. So we do have to watch a little bit of what will be growth, what will be health, what will be just being at home a lot in the next couple of months before they hit this like brutal schedule of travel later in the year and and not getting too high or too low on that if they continue to play basically like we expect with you know most of the players performing like we expect them to. And I know you said that they went through all the players yesterday, so I don't want to do that again. There are some players in there. Like I don't, I didn't expect uh, Brissett to be, you know, eleven yeah. in total minutes, stuff like that. Like there's some things in there that are mild surprises, um, but in in large part, it's like I thought this is how they were going to play offense. I thought this is how they're going to play defense. I hoped there would be some more wrinkles, maybe on the defensive end. Um, there have been a few more wrinkles on the offensive end, but it, you know, in total, it it seems to be pretty well in line with with where I you know what I thought the team would do for the season just in miniature over a quarter of the season yeah and I I mean you touched on a little bit there I think a big I mean we spent a ton of time talking about Joe Mazzula last year and I think that's of anything as like as close of a lens you want to look at anything these first 20 games is like any type of the, the changes in the or and or the growth that he's made from year one to year two and a year one that was certainly had plenty of bumpy patches for a variety of reasons but a lot of that I think some of that was in game stuff for him and now through 20 games here I think there's you know you're still getting some of the same old you know debate on timeout stuff that's just never going to go away but I think by and large I've been pleasantly surprised with like like I think there's been some more unpredictability to him um within the game itself I think he's kind of and I don't think he's been perfect by any means but I think that's been an important step for this team in these first 20 games to be like, okay, this is, you know, utilizing what you have better, like rolling with hot cans, rolling with the bench in certain games, controlling minutes better, et cetera, et cetera, kind of go down the line on that front. I think that by and large has been helpful with their 15 and five start here. And even though like, again, like with the team itself, there's probably, you know, still plenty of room for growth there. Yeah. Things feel more stable on, on that front. Um, like you said, he hasn't, Missoula hasn't been perfect. Um, Steve Kerr and his four titles had such a bad game that he basically had to admit that he cost him the game. There is no perfect coach out there. Right. right. Um, and, and so there will be things that we disagree on and there will be things that we disagree on that work out well. They may still have not been optimal decisions. Um, and then, and then vice versa where, you know, I may say something and then look back and go, ah, no, he definitely got that right. I, I was wrong about that. And that's, I'm, you know, none, no one person is going to get all these things right. But I do, it does feel like it has been more stable. And part of that, of course, is that last year he was installed like on the eve of the season. Now, this year they made a, a big trade late in the offseason. 
um, which means you have to give them a little bit of time to to bring some of those elements in. And and if you are looking for players that are maybe a surprise to what we expected them and how we would expect them to perform, I would say Holiday is probably the one who has been farthest off of my expectations. Yeah, let's get into him a little bit too. Like, what, like, why do you? Is that just him like trying to fit in, like to take a secondary role because he can, or that's what the team he thinks the team wants him to do, or do you think they're there are age and other elements in play there. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I know Sam has highlighted a few times on, on different things, his sort of chaotic nature on offense. It is certainly more chaotic than I expected. He's more like Marcus Smart than I expect him to be in, in some ways. Um, that the offense is more chaotic than I thought it would be, and the defense has been more, I would say, like Smart in his later years where – it's a lot of his value is in versatility and communication and not in like pure playmaking like it was for smart early on in his career. And that's age and physicality and, and athleticism and all those things come in. But we're like smart was full chaos early in his career on defense and got better about using his physicality and his skills in different ways to be really versatile on that end. And that's, that was really valuable. And, and holidays brought a lot of that on defense. I expected more playmaking on defense, more sort of chaotic element there. And a little bit more stability on offense. Uh, and so maybe that is that he's trying to find his place in his shots and, you know, some of the weird pull-up threes, which people who have watched him more than I have over the years were like, no, 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 that's normal. That's kind of yeah. what he is. <laughs> but my perception of him wasn't exactly that. And and part of that is probably that we didn't have as long to sort of talk about him and think about him in the context of the team as we did Porzingis and other players who came in earlier. Uh, but that's, he's been the one thing that's that's been like, oh, that's an, interesting decision um and then you go down on the other end and and you see him defending all across the line and you're like oh yeah okay we yeah we traded we reacquired marcus smart after having to to trade him so um it's been a little like i said that's probably the biggest like, surprise higher efficiency surprise. marcus smart um, yeah i mean so now. far uh, sort of <laughs> um the shooting hasn't been hasn't been great early in the year right but um that also i think is a, a trend throughout his career that he has shot better later in, in seasons, but um, hard to be less efficient than smart has been in some early seasons. So uh, I, I suppose that's true. More expensive as well. It's a low, yeah, that's true. <laughs> low bar, but yeah, it's twice as much. Sorry. But yeah, the, I mean, he's, he's 37% from three career low right now, 42% from the field. Yes. Which it's a shooting inside. Like his inside, finishing yeah. has been underwhelming to say the least, um, you know, particularly in the paint. And that's, and that's a low, you know, anytime you get your guards in your thirties, you know, we've seen, we've seen this plenty as far as guys who struggled when they get to that part of their career due to injury age or whatever else. Um, but I think that that situation on this team where it's like, that's okay because he's the fourth option or even the fifth option some nights when Derek White has it going. And um, yeah, it's to me, the, the, the interesting frame with him defensively is like, they've, like you said, the, the playmaking is down. He's down to point, just 0.7 steals per game, which is easily a career low for him through 20 games. And, like, how much of that is just, again, he's been guarding the the Randalls and the Embiid's of the world um, seemingly, you know, every other night. Um, and I wonder how much they want to do that with him and if that, like, will wear him down over the course of the year or if that's a situation where it's like, well, we'd rather that than, like, wear Al Horford down or, like, someone who's 37 or, like, or just, just take the 
take whatever comes of that and knowing like, Hey, we, we're not going to ask as much out of you drew offensively with this team. So we can ask a little bit more out of you defensively. So that, that balance to me will be interesting to watch in the next 60 plus games here to see like how they, like if they keep riding that against, you know, top caliber big men or whether that just was some experimentation early in the year. Yeah. The defense across the team is, I think, probably the thing that I'm watching the most closely now, because while it's been good, it very much feels like a regular season defense to me at the moment, Yeah, uh, which is maybe that they brought in a new primary you know, guard defender and a new primary rim defender and that it'll just take some time and they're going to do some different things. But one of the big criticisms of Missoula last year for me was that their defense was not versatile enough, right? They didn't spend enough time trying out junk defenses or zones or whatever you want to call them. Uh, or different styles of defending. Uh, and that's partly why when they traded Smart to add Porzingis, I like was pretty freaked out about it. I was like, oh, they're just going to be entirely in on playing this sort of drop defense that can work very well in the regular season, but that historically has not had as much success in the playoffs. And then that was mitigated some by them trading for Drew. But now, like he's been, again, like so lacking in terms of defensive playmaking, like sort of, what we think of as playmaking he's made obviously is a very good defender but the steals number across the board like the the way that they are not forcing any turnovers to me is a problem it's a thing that we have to wonder is that going to be a thing that they build on as the year goes on and put some more focus on being a little bit more aggressive defensively or is their plan basically we think that this can work in the playoffs being this sort of you know drop defense conservative style don't make mistakes our offense will be good enough to you know, to overcome that, I think that there's a, a feedback loop there that you have to worry about that when their offense bogs down in the in the playoffs, they are going to need to be able to create transition. And the only way you could do that is by having a more aggressive defense and that they need to be working on that now. But it's a quarter of the way through the season. Will we say that a halfway through? If we say if we're still saying that three quarters of the way through the season, I'm going to be worried. Um, and I think Holiday's role in that and and White obviously as well is is interesting. And like will they become more aggressive in the way that they that they defend or are they just going to look at this and be like we're the number one defense in the league or number like, not number one but you know we're a top five defense in the league we're doing fine and just kind of stick with it all right let's take a break here to hear from our sponsor FanDuel score early this NFL season of FanDuel America's number one sports book right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet that's 150 bucks if your team wins so if you've been thinking about fan joining FanDuel there's no better time to get in on the action the app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options. You can do spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Massachusetts 21 and present. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start, gamesensema.com, or call 1-800-GAM-1234. And now back to the show. Yeah, and even within that element, too, it's like, in terms of who you're playing off the bench in, like, slots 8, 9, or 10, like, that comes into it to any degree. Like, a guy like Banton that has emerged at least somewhat in the last two weeks here. Part of that has been due to injuries, of course. Um, but certainly defensively, that's like one of your better upside guys off the bench in those 
in those slots. Um, in he's never going to play in the playoffs. Oh, right, exactly. That's the thing. It's like, then, right, so it's like guys to give you that if you're going to then cut them out of the rotation when the games yeah. matter. You need to have a foundation of being able to be more versatile and and like some days the right thing to do is to drop back in a in a shell and like I'm not saying they need to be Nick Nurse with the you know with the Raptors trying to force turnovers every possession, but I would like to see a little more versatility from the guys who will actually be playing in the playoffs. And who is that in your mind off the bench right now? Have Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard crossed that threshold for you? Uh, Hauser for sure. Like he just has to has to play. His size and his shooting, they you know you need it. You need to be able to make threes. Like I know I'm the person who harps on this more than anybody in the world, but like the league is a three point shooting league now. You can take your three point shooting stats, your attempts, your makes, your percents, like those three things. You can just stack them up and be like, oh, if you take more threes than the other team, you usually win. If you make more threes than the other team you like really usually win. And if you have a pretty wide three-point discrepancy, you almost always win. Like three-point shooting is so important that Hauser has to be in. Pritchard is a harder case because not only is he a position where you have other options and he's smaller, he's not making threes. So if he's not making the, the shots, then there's a whole conversation there about is he the player that you need? Do you Are you going to spend whatever resources you have left to try to upgrade that position? Because you can't, I think it's difficult to cut all the way down to like a seven man rotation with Hauser as your seventh guy, even if you are healthy, you do need a ball handler somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, I think Hauser has crossed the threshold for me. Is there anybody else who like saying that, you know, it's hard with Pritchard right now. Cause we know he can't, we had, he has played in the playoffs before, but it's uh, not always pretty right now. Yeah. I, I still think more often than like, I, I think he's doing enough across the board where I lean towards like, yes with Pritchard and that will, that's subject to change if, if they make a, an upgrade um, in the next couple months, like I, like he could clearly be the guy that's you most easily push out. I think Hauser's ahead of him for a lot of reasons that you just laid out there. Um, but with Pritchard, like the offensive rebound, I think he's just the awareness, the offensive rebounding, I think is kind of has, he's honestly has carried like the bench offense a couple of times, like, even against bad opponents, but still like, I can't, I'll go back to that game in Charlotte where he had five bench, like four bench guys out there with him. And he got them a comfortable lead in that game. And the starters came back in and gave it away. So like that type of playmaking and the fact that the track record of him shooting the threes, like that's a guy you ultimately, you want to trust um, in those spots. And he has proven that he can take and make those threes at least in some of his playoff runs previously. So um, I would, again, it, it depends on the opponent, but I think more often than not, good things are happening when Pritchard's out on the floor um, on both ends across the board. So like I lean towards yet, but that's very much, you know, we'll see where we're at in another 40, 60 games on that front. Like, I don't think they win the, the 76ers game, the recent one without him. And I, I know he doesn't have like a great stat line in it. I think he was negative for the game, but like, I think his impact in the game was notable um, and that they would have struggled to to win that game. And you can look at that and say like, well, look at the opponent. They should have won that game more easily, all this and that. But like there are games where he's going to play well and, and he's going to make a difference. The The challenge there is is something that always exists at this level, which is like how many of your trade assets, resources are you really going to put into upgrading your seventh or eighth guy? And like, is the guy you go and get, if it's somebody else's seventh or eighth guy, are you just going to get him and then immediately see all of the warts that they have as a player and realize that what you got is no different from what you really gave up. And I think that's probably, you know, <laughs> would be what would happen. Um, it might, I think it would be helpful if they had somebody who was a little bit more of a, of a natural point guard at that position. Um, but if it's somebody who can't shoot at all, right, like 
if it's somebody who can shoot and play point guard, they're probably a starter for somebody like all the balancing act of what, what players are available and what you can really do about it. If the roster they have today is the roster they carry into the playoffs, he's going to have to play. Um, yeah. And I do, I do appreciate that he has history in the playoffs more than some of some other guys. It's a couple years old now, but like he has done things in the playoffs. I don't think he's will shy away from the moment or anything like that. Um, and some of, again, like three quarters of the way through the year, when we're doing a, a check-in at 60 games, he might be shooting 37% from three on the year. And you're not worried about any of this stuff anymore. It, it's hard to tell with, with the vagaries of, of sample size a quarter of the way into the year. It just hasn't been amazing yet for him. Right. It's, but yeah, I, I don't think, think it's been like horrible. I think someone actually pointed out, I think a, a listener of the pod pointed out, I'm going to look it up right now that his, his home away shooting splits are like crazy um, that's like every goal player right which is everyone yeah, right now and then so we, it is for it's like everyone, but that's like player, there's player. crazy splits yeah so he's he's 42 percent from three at the garden 21 percent from three at the away but and that kind of falls in line with what the like the celtics as a team are scoring 125 points per possession per 100 possessions at home and 110 on the road so that's like a of 15 points. So they go from first offense to 19th um, on the road. And, and again, it's a limited sample size, but it's funny that like last year they weren't amazing. at it. like they, they had all these, especially in the playoffs, had some, all these, some of their worst performances always came at home. And now they've kind of flipped the script a little bit this year and going back to traditional, like everyone's playing out of their mind at home. And then the offense kind of falls apart in the road, which is more, which is magnified with, with guys like Pritchard. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, it's sort of the classic split that you expect for for role players, and of course, it doesn't really hold up um, as much as people make it out. Where like, oh, everybody does that, which is what I just said. But um, it's also you're talking about such small samples, right? Shooting samples on a quarter of the season, home and road, is like nothing. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where, particularly where I would, my sort of premise of like nothing has been particularly surprising this year. Yeah, there are surprises in there about this guy's shooting percentage on these kinds of shots or something like that. But structurally, I, I think we've seen for most of these players about what you would expect. Like Pritchard, not to be, you know, to to uh, just sort of throw away his performances, right? Like he plays hard, he rebounds, he's this and that. Like, will the shooting come around or not? I suspect that it will. But no matter what, he's still a 6'3 guard with some limitations. He's more of a combo guard than a point guard, right? So is that the player you want in that role? But again, like with the way they're playing, it, it's fine. And if this is a team they have, I'm not like super worried about it. We probably spent more time talking about this just sort of off on the tangent than, than it was worth. But um, wait, if you're asking me like bench surprises, I mean, like I, like I'd said before, I'm more surprised about the guys who aren't playing maybe than how the guys who are playing have played. Well, we have a special edition of the show right now. A, a late, a late wake, wake up <laughs> for the, for the kid. I slept forever. I mean, just everybody's I'm amazed. 5:30 Greenwich Mean Time right now. Jay has been asleep. It's uh, in in London. It's the afternoon, and Jay is still asleep. <laughs> Very lazy. It is. Do you? Yeah, I woke up at like 12:25. I fell asleep at like 12:25. I don't. I'm know. so jealous that you can do 12 hours straight, Jay. That is, that's incredible at this age i feel like after after a road trip it doesn't matter how long the road trip is i'm just exhausted and uh now i have a wife so I, when i get home from the road trip i don't sleep immediately i want to hang out with her and stay awake and so i blame my wife <laughs> that'll go well that, that'll, <laughs> that's a good strategy you got there um 
B Rob and I both have have kids, and so we do not get to sleep. We there is no sleeping in. <laughs> yeah, the sleeping comes on the road trips. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll have to but, figure that one out. But Jay, so Ryan Ryan's premise to start the show, I, we want to get your take on here. Or Ryan, why don't so you I give him your interrupted? No, you. no, this is good. This is this was the originally scheduled trio here. I think it is your podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So so my premise that I have posed is that a quarter of the way through the season, there are no major surprises with this team. Yeah, they are no. where we thought they would be, the way they got there. Some players a little up and down here and there, but that in general, they are exactly where I would have expected them to be. Almost everything is identical to expectations. That That's one reason, like, they're a great team. They're fantastic. They're kind of boring to cover considering how great they are because nothing interesting happens. It's just the starting five is great. Yeah, we figured the starting five would be great. Christos Porzingis, really great addition. Yep, sure. Drew Holiday, he can really guard anybody. Bet you didn't expect that one. <laughs> the bench, it's like the same guys play every day. Every once in a while, you'll get a Delano Banton sighting. Every once in a while, Nimi will show up and dunk a few times, make a few post moves, block a couple shots, get a couple offensive rebounds. But for the most part, yeah. I caught the tail end of of what you were saying. And yeah, to me, like I would have expected O'Shea Brissett and Lamar Stevens to get like the wing minutes beyond Sam Hauser and maybe Peyton Pritchard's ability to stay in the rotation without making shots is a tiny bit of a surprise to me, but he's been really good in some other aspects. And uh, yeah, there's there's nothing that like really changes from day to day about this team. That's why we need the hack of drumming stuff. We need we need we need the spice of <laughs> random. Joe like Joe's that. Joe's changes are the biggest surprise to me. Yes, that's what I said too, Jay. To start, yeah, I was like, that, that's yeah. why I see the biggest thing that stuck out in these first twenty games. It's like his his willingness to adjust more. I feel like. I mean, I yeah. started out by saying the same thing you did about thinking that that Brissett may play more, but then you hear Tatum on Reddick's podcast where he's talking about how he never wants to come out of the games, and you're like, oh yeah, of course. I'm not surprised there are no wing minutes beyond Sam Hauser because Jason Tatum never wants to come out of the game. So it's like there aren't minutes, even for the guys who I assumed they would play more and that they'd be like, oh, they play a tight rotation more than you would expect for the first quarter of the season for a team that you expect to win high 50s, low 60s games. But like none of that stuff is real surprises, right? Like, And, and the way they play is not a surprise. The way they play offense, I said this to be Rob before, like I was hoping for, a, you know, a little more variability in the way they play defense, but like the core way they play is exactly what we thought. The way they play offense is basically what we thought maybe a little bit more wrinkles here and there when they have everybody, but it really has been. Yeah. Uh, for you guys having a, to record every day and write every day, I can see how a hack of drum and day or an, you know, an in-season tournament game is like, Oh, thankfully I've got something here to, to put down on, on a, on the audio. There's something baby. Yeah. <laughs> When's the trade deadline? No, um, no, but it is. It is the the fact of the matter is, I think when you look at they're fifteen and five right now, and they still have, and everything has gone pretty predictably. I think that's a pretty good sign for where they're at because there is. I mean, Christoph Spurling has talked to us about it at practice yesterday. Like, there's a lot of room for growth still, even despite how predictable they are, and the fact that they are still second in defense right now, beyond even though they can't force a turnover 
more than like seven or eight times a game. It seems like like that's that's promising. The fact that the offense is slipping like this and they're still able to win more games than not. The fact that they've cleaned things up at home a lot this year and um, bodes well for the fact that they look to be in a pretty good spot to get that top seed this year if they keep it up. So it's like it's things within their control are working well in terms of what they can build off of for the final 60 games here. The promising part to me is that they're 15 and five and they haven't really shot the three pointer. Well, yep. Like last year it took shooting the three well for consistently for sustained stretches for them to put wins like this together. And, and so far like Peyton Pritchard's way below expectations, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, haven't really shot the ball well yet though maybe that's just who they are now in their careers Tatum hasn't had a great three-point shooting percentage in a while Jalen didn't have a great one last year um Porzingis is way down Porzingis is down Horford is down percent or something right yeah yeah Yeah. Porzingis is 32 Horford 35 he was started slow but that's yeah like those are average slash below average for those guys so you can expect those to at least stay the same probably raise in a lot of cases and still they're 15 and five and so it drew holiday too like he's 37 i think which is probably around expectation you know he was 40 something last year um so there's there's room for growth in this offense just from making shots and and to be 15 and five like it just feels like it's totally different from last year's start even though last year they were 21 and five but it was just because they their offense was perfect at that point, like absolutely perfect. But that's again, like why it's not surprising to me is because it's like, if the growth is in shooting and what they did last year when they were really hot was they shot the hell out of the ball. Like you still come back to the same thing of like, they're always a good team. And by the way, if they make shots, they're unbeatable. And you, you sort of wrap back around to that. And so my biggest positive from the beginning of the year is how is that they don't get blown out right? That they're so difficult, even when they aren't playing well. The only game they really got blown out was the Orlando. day after Thanksgiving on the road to a good team without Porzingis, or sorry, without Holiday. Porzingis gets hurt in the middle of the game, and I think they were winning when he got injured, right? Um, yeah. Like, it took all of those factors and it being an in-season tournament game for for them to get blown out. There and Mo no other... Don't forget yeah, about Mo Wagner's, Yeah, his, his revenge game. <laughs> Which is one of those things that now you look back on it, you're like, man, how did they never really give him a chance? I know he was terrible when they gave him the minimal chances they did, but Luke yeah, Cornette beat him out, baby. Luke I know Cornette. it's crazy. Um, but that to me is what I go back and look at. Where I'd actually been saying before that game, like, what is it going to take for this team to lose by 15 points? And then I think they lost that game by 17 because it was, you know, run up and to it, the score in the it, season. Tournament. It was also basically the sixth game of a road trip. Yeah, no, totally. They had four road games and then one home game where they had to fly in and then fly out, basically their own city because they then had another road game which was 2 30 p.m the day after thanksgiving and you take all those things together and it's like okay if that's what it takes to blow a team out then you're basically going to be in 75 games during the year like you're either going to win going away or you'll be in a close game 75 times this year and you're not going to win every close game and sometimes you're going to lose a game that's a you know like the indiana game they lose by 10 but it's a you know it's a tie game with a minute and four minute 40 to go um so not every game score-wise is going to look exactly like that. But because of the way they're built, even when guys have bad games, there's just so many other guys who are there, and you're always going to have three really good players who are having totally fine games, and that's going to keep you in every single game. That at least as a regular season proposition, that's what's most positive to me. Of It's just like this team is very difficult to have beaten with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And that means you're going to have chances basically every single game. Completely. And then so you look at that, and then 
you just look out. We haven't talked about the rest of the East yet much this year on this pod, but like Milwaukee, good record, but I think far more glaring issues than anything the Celtics have right now. Uh, they're Orlando, playing really well now, though. They are playing well, but like I still think when they play elite teams and their like wing defense gets tested, like that's a it's the Chris Middleton big, question, right? It's yeah, like right. It's, it's like. And that's and that's I mean a long way to go on that front, but still there. But then you look at that. That's such then... an interesting start because they stunk at first, and then they were winning like all these close games, and now maybe they're figuring things out. But we'll see. It's probably good for them that they kept piling up wins while they like were pretty bad for a while. Yeah, Dame having a shooting ninety percent on threes in in crunch time for those couple of weeks really gave them a couple of wins that most teams wouldn't have had. Which, I mean, that's why you go get him. I get it, but he just, you know he's not going to do that forever. Eh, but the, their wins we'll are see. in the bank. The wins are in the bank. Like that's yeah. what it's for. Yeah. But then beyond that in the East, it's like you know Orlando. Yeah, of course it's all that. That's a Celtics should be doing whatever they can to avoid them in the playoffs. But we'll see how much that sustains. Um, start sustains at 14 and seven if they're if that's legit or if that pulls back and then philly is obviously the other major intriguing team there in terms of what they do from a trade standpoint but that could be a situation where daryl Morey wants cap room and doesn't want to take a contract that's too onerous and that will kind of limit in terms of how much talent they can add for the now and then beyond that there's not up and down the east where where miami's at etc like you got to feel pretty good about where the Celtics are at and compare the rest of these through the, at least, you know, from the, from the big picture, I feel like, is that, is that, what do you guys think about that? Yeah. It's hilarious that all the teams we want to avoid are like, no, 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 we don't want Miami. We don't want Orlando. Just give us, just give us Milwaukee and Philly and we'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep us away from, you know, uh, it's a, it's a weird matchup thing. Right. Um, And none of that stuff really matters in the end like the better team usually wins unless unless it's the heat shooting a thousand percent um but yeah i mean again we thought that they were going to be a good team near the top of the standings and they're a good team near the top of the standings and i don't think orlando is going to be the two seed at the end it's going to be the celtics and the bucks and we'll see what the 76ers are lurking there with if they make a trade that that could change things but we just have so little fear of them it's like as long as your number one player always flames out in the playoffs it's it's just hard to take that too seriously and, and to be to be afraid of that so it is this weird thing it's i think at the end of the year we're gonna look down at the end of the standings and be like oh i don't want any of these matchups against these play-in teams or that's you know <laughs> so we struggle against all them but we're okay with the the two and three seed um which it's yeah it's a weird thing but uh i'm i'm sure they'll they'll take it you'll be pretty feeling pretty good if you're like i i think we can handle the conference finals in the the second round but the first round may take us six games that's that's okay that's not Jay, a question. Jay, Jay, what do you? Yeah. What sticks out to you about the standings of this front, or like those those other teams? Yeah, it's. Uh, I still think Miami is a threat just because they're Miami, and Eric Spolster, the best coach in the league, he makes you just really think the game on a different level because of how much he switches up defensive coverages, how on a string they are in the ways that they need to be. Jimmy Butler always going to be fantastic playoffs. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's kind of a weird conference. And it, it's, it's sort of a weird NBA year where finally after like years and years of like developing, young teams are starting to climb to the top of the standings. Like the Thunder 
are near the top of the West. I guess Minnesota, I wouldn't really call a young team, but they're a new team, sort of, year two with this iteration. Um, and then Orlando in the East, Indiana in the East. So, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, it'll probably be the teams that we expected, like Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, and Philly. Still not sure about Philly as a playoff team, not just because they haven't won in the past, but because like having just Maxi and Embiid basically is the only two people on your entire roster who can create things, and Embiid's not a guard who will handle the ball all the time. I just feel like there are shortcomings, playoff shortcomings that people will be able to lean on there, um, that opponents will be able to lean on, that will limit them unless they are able to go out and get another guy. Yeah, with the understanding that, that Jokic and Murray just won the title, building around a center and a small guard still feels not quite ideal for, for a big-time playoff contender. The other thing is that the bottom of the standings are also messing up everything this year. Like, you have these three absolute dog shit teams that are making, like, point differentials weird, right? There was a 50-point win yesterday. The Celtics won by – like, you have these games that where the scores are going wild, and then you have these three awful teams that, that are just giving away, like, 30- and 40-point uh, – victories to teams all the time where it's sort of like skewing what we're used to for some things in the standings the Celtics haven't really had those stack games yet well they won one by 50 (laughs) but yes they they beat Indy by 50 they but they haven't played like the Pistons yet they haven't yet played the Spurs like teams they'll probably beat by 30 or 40 they just haven't played yet for them yeah I think they actually have the the 20th easiest schedule remaining J to your point like those teams, like, they've played a yeah, pretty... There, there are a lot of bad favor. games left. And they're not going to be this month either. Like, they are they have a tough schedule the rest of the month here with going out west and all the San teams Antonio on New Year's Eve, right? That yeah, one. I mean, that's... That's listen, where it just like, <laughs> That's as tough as it gets. Um, just as tough as Orlando on after Thanksgiving. But, yeah, so they there will be softer spots of the schedule waiting for them to, to beat up on those teams. Um, but they're... They'll have to wait till most mostly 2024 for those. Yeah, and um, then like we said, like we said before, then you get into the really brutal part of the schedule. So again, don't people shouldn't get too high or too low if there's like a, a 12 game win streak here where every nine of the games are at home and three of them are against four of them, five of them are against terrible teams. Like there is a a really soft part of the schedule coming up, and then an in, insanely difficult part that follows that. All right, before we wrap up here, we are. A week out from trade season officially being across the NBA, it will should be probably pretty quiet for the Celtics and all honestly early. Some other teams around the East to keep an eye on Philly in particular, maybe some run-of-the-mill teams like Toronto, et cetera, might blow things up. Chicago, obviously the team to keep an eye on. Um, Ryan, just to get your view on like any names to keep an eye on there from a big picture standpoint that you think could skew anything in the East um, if someone gets after it. And then, be curious to get me and Jay have debated in terms of where would we want to put our attention most for the Celtics for a, a bench to me, but be curious to get your take on that too. Yeah. I mean, it's more interesting. I think who the the rivals could trade for than who the Celtics could trade for just because they're, they're so limited in terms of salary stuff, basically. Right. Like even though they have draft picks that they could trade just the amount of money it costs to add players and then salary matching problems and things like that. And being a, a second apron team, makes it hard to see that they would make any major upgrades. I know people are out there like, oh, what about Alex Caruso? Alex Caruso, and you're like, even just $10 million is hard to make work 
um, for the team right now. Just the, where, who are you trading out and how are you going to structure that in season? If it was off season and you could stack a bunch of salaries, but even then as a second apron team next off season, starting next off season, you won't even be able to do that. So it gets really difficult. Um, the Toronto guys are the ones who I'm more interested in just because they're guys who can fit in a lot of places, right? So um, the question is, will they actually, after losing other guys for nothing, be willing to pull the trigger and like take what's available on the market for guys who are expiring contracts and and could walk in the offseason. Uh, but you could certainly see, you know, if the 76ers were to add and say, you know, this is our basically our free agent spending and go and get Ananobi or Siakam, like would that change things? I just said it's weird that they have a team built around a center and a small guard. And if you could upgrade out the wing significantly, uh, that can make a difference. Now you can wrap back around on that and say like if you put those guys onto the 76ers, would they become Tobias Harris? I'm not sure, but it would be interesting to see what would happen in in that circumstance. Uh, but those guys are are good players, and and they could impact a lot of teams. And and even a guy like Gary Trent, right? You could run into a playoff game against him on the wrong location, and and he makes five threes, and it's like, oh, that trade that happened that you know wasn't a huge deal ended up swinging a playoff series or something like that. So the Toronto guys are the ones I'm looking at probably more than the Chicago guys because I just don't think I think with the salaries that that like Levine makes, he's not good enough to like. Is he even a positive asset, especially if he's now not? playing particularly hard and like what's on on film recently is so bad um i'm not sure where that even really goes so yeah to me it's the the toronto guys that are that are most most interesting to hopefully they don't land on a rival that swings anything too significantly yeah it's it seems even like levine's i think i just saw they bulls room run him out for another three or four yeah, weeks month last night now you got the injury on top of it so yeah it'll be interesting to see if they, they even net a first round pick in that deal um unless they are sending out another bad contract with them or something like that. But um, yeah. So like Jay, I want to, if I remember this correctly, your, your team wing over extra big man depth for if this is. Yeah. And again, it's going to be really hard to find a wing who's like you could possibly play, but to me, it's just like right now you have one wing behind the starters who you would ever want to put in a playoff game. And I don't put Banton in that category. I don't put that Stevens, Speed, any of those guys. So, like, to me, just just in case you get foul trouble or, or whatever and you need a playable wing or Peyton Pritchard is getting attacked because he's six foot two and you can't have him on the court in a playoff series and you just want someone with a little more size instead, that's the type of guy I think the Celtics should be targeting. Um, we've heard the John Conchar name before, which he's had a really bad year, but <laughs> could be totally fine. Um, another one that I look at, it probably doesn't make sense because he's in the last year of his rookie deal. Um, Sadiq Bay, if the Hawks kind of implode a little bit, he has a very small salary right now. It would fit into the the trade one. exception. And, and, and they're not going to resign either, probably. Right, they can't afford to resign him. They can't they afford, to, can't afford to resign him, so they may just yeah. So, so something like that could work. Um, and and would be just like another playable wing that you could have. Again, like it doesn't really if you're healthy, it doesn't really matter that much. Sam Hauser shooting forty five percent from three, he's going to be part of your playoff rotation. But it's just like I would, re I think they would prefer to have one more guy or maybe it's just one of the guys steps up and becomes a that's, playable guy so that's my question is if Brissett was doing like if Brissett was still in indiana 
and was doing exactly what he did the last two years. It was healthy because he wasn't, you know, healthy. But he, he started forty some forty games over the last couple of years. He shot nearly forty percent from three. Like, would you look at him and be like, oh, that's a guy who I would want to add for that role? And he's already here. Are you going to be able to get anybody better than that, or are you just throwing away a draft pick to add somebody who's exactly the same quality of player as? the guy who you already have. Now, maybe there's a better fit in terms of a skill or something like that that you're looking for, but you're not going to give up much for that. So we're talking about using the TPE and a second round pick, sending a guy out. You're also adding $20 million in luxury tax. Like, is that something that they're just going to be willing to do unless there's someone better than a John Contra, you know, better than a John Contra out there? Because you may get him and then find that you're in the exact same position where he plays a couple of games in the first round, maybe. And then in the second round of the playoffs, you're like, we're not playing him anyway. Yeah, I think when we talked about him before, we called him the Mike Muscala of wings. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But I think to your point, though, Ryan, like, I think this has to be a year, right, where they they have to be willing to do this in this this two-year window here, and particularly this year, if they're healthy. Like, because you don't, there's going to be no guarantees on that, and you want to protect yourself as much as you can. And if you even get, like, you got all these extra second-round picks that they stockpiled at the draft back in June. And so like we've seen like the capital last trade done, I was a three, four five second round picks. And I know you don't want to use them all, but like, this is also a time where it's like, it, it's, is that good a time to push your chips in because it's going to be much tougher to do anything like this. Once we get to the, uh, sec- the off season and the second apron rolls penalties roll in. And then it's like, this was kind of your last chance to have that kind of flexibility. I mean, I totally get that. My, my point is just like, if what you're really offering is a couple of second round picks and taking on a salary, who is the player who is available for that? That solves any of the things that we're talking about now. And it's how about just, five second round picks. Okay. I mean, five second round picks brought Jay Crowder last year to Milwaukee and then he didn't play. Right. And so even then, if you go and get a name, why is that player available? Why is that player available for second round picks and nothing returning from a real thing? Like, and that's why like they, maybe they're, they fall back and they're saying like, we're not going to sign this guy anyway. Like we'll take whatever we can get and he can play a little bit. I'm not saying that it's impossible to find that match. It's just hard. And there is no guarantee that when it comes to the trade deadline and you have a whole bunch of teams that are at least in the running for making, you know, the play in tournament that it, you don't know that a, a buyer's market is going to develop at all. And if you if what develops is sort of a seller's market and the, the Celtics are out there looking for those kind of things, you you may end up at a, a point where you're looking and say, look, we can add any of these three or four guys that are available, and just none of them are better than what we have. And if you're bringing them in just to have an op, you know, somebody a different body, a different look at somebody, and they're willing to spend the money and it costs two second round picks, like I don't care, great, go ahead and do it. Um, but I don't think those are solutions. I think those are just sort of like things that you're doing because there's a 0.5 percent chance that it matters, and like that still matters, but. Uh, it it doesn't matter as much as the sort of basics of we have these seven or eight guys and if everybody's healthy then great and if not trouble. How many first round picks did you guys get from Mark Williams? One. Uh, well, they wouldn't take it, so right wouldn't matter. Two. Yep. Mark Williams is good. Good, cheap, but Charlie doesn't have anything to hold on to, so they're yeah. probably not available. Yeah. He's got to be one of their only keepers. Yeah, I mean, outside of Lamel, yeah, and it's it's like those are the type. That's the perfect type of player in terms of like a cheap, cost controlled guy. Like you maybe want to overpay for that, but even you overpaying with what assets you have left is probably not enough to to you know appeal to Charlotte because they 
like I said, they don't have much to hold on to over there. So that's one thing. One area they feel good about, they probably don't want to even blow it up for more late first round picks. But I think that's we'll put a bow in it right there. We'll get into plenty more. We have plenty more time to get into these, get into trade talk here, but um that's gonna do give it a wrap here. And this is a free preview episode, Jay, of the still potable experience for the listeners out there. Can you tell what what, what can people expect from us daily here? We're going to have shows after every game. We're going to have shows Monday through Friday, every single day. We're going to do bonus podcasts. We've been doing those most of the time if they have a Friday game. Um, and really, like, we are going to be committed to making sure that you feel comfortable paying money to listen to us because I genuinely do not like asking people for money um, to listen to me speak. But it's kind of the only way where it can be financially feasible for us. And uh, we no don't ads. take it light. We don't take it lightly that you guys, you know, subscribe to us. We don't take it lightly that people enjoy this every part, every morning. Um, and so we're going to put in a lot of work to make this hopefully the best podcast community that anybody could have in the Celtic sphere. And we're going to have. Plenty of guests uh, weekly and including Ryan Bernoni, who we want to thank for joining us today. Make sure you're following him on Blue Sky. Ryan, what's your period? And you're, I know you came back to X recently, um, or at least for now, but it's nice. Or staff nice by lack of videos on Blue Sky. Yeah, it's it's exactly. It's, we need more platforms to make more easier media consumption. But um, make sure you follow him out there on Danger Cart. Ryan, again, really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate all the listeners out there. Like Jay said, we're going to be really appreciate you guys. Um, and we uh, will be working hard for you Monday through Friday. And with some bonus episodes mixed in there um, on patreon.com slash still potable. If you want to check us out and Jay, I believe we'll likely have a bonus pod coming up Friday night. Is that, is that correct? We sure will Celtics Knicks baby in season tournament consolation, AKA a regular season game. Look out. Fifth, a fifth matchup between the Celtics and the Knicks this year. Just going to be dynamite content. Dynamite. Um, so much RJ Barrett. <laughs> all right. Well, stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks again to Ryan. And uh, we'll talk to you all later this week.